Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, how's it going, guys? This is Zuby, of course, host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. And I wanted to drop a quick message here with a very quick and simple but important request. And this is that if you are someone who has been listening to this podcast for a long time, I would strongly encourage you to please support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Zuby Music. I'm looking to expand the podcast this year. I'm also going to be working on a lot of new music this year, releasing new singles and a brand new album. And if you're someone who enjoys and appreciates my work as an independent artist, I would massively appreciate if you could support me financially on Patreon. Now, by doing so, you're going to also get access to the Team Zuby community as well as other perks. We have a private chat group on Discord, so if you want to stay away from Twitter and all the wildness and craziness of social media and just be talking to like-minded people, including myself, then you can join that. You can become a supporter from as little as $2 a month, and you can join the Discord for just $5 plus a month. Please check it out. That's patreon.com forward slash Zuby Music, Z-U-B-Y Music. Would love to have you on board, and it'll really help me to grow. Thank you. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, today I'm doing a little bit of an impromptu live stream. I have been in Maui, Hawaii for the past week. I'm out here today with my wonderful friend, Ellen Fisher. Hello. She is a very popular vegan YouTuber, Instagram influencer, an amazing wife, an amazing mother of four wonderful children who I've had the pleasure of hanging out with here. So we thought before I fly off, I'm going to do a little bit of an impromptu live stream and podcast. We can't have this opportunity and not do it. So Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is perfect timing. We made it work. (laughs) We made it work. Awesome. We're sharing one mic right here. For anyone who's watching live, you'll be able to see this. But for those of you listening, just know we are recording this uh, using a different system to usual, but hopefully it comes out perfectly well. So Ellen, I've done a brief intro there. Tell the people a little bit about who you are. All right. I am a vegan mother of four. I've been vegan for 15 years now and have had four wonderful home births. And I'm all about encouraging people to grow more of their own food and live more sustainably and, you know, help, help with their health, heal their health and all that. And, and, and raising conscious children as well. That's a big part of what I love talking about. Awesome. And uh, how did you become a vegan? Um, let's see. I started out, I actually used to have an eating disorder in high school. I was struggling with just like not eating enough food, thinking that restricting my calories was the way to health because I had experienced weight gain and acne after I went through puberty in high school. And that just spiraled me into like a control method where I was just constantly restricting my calories and did not help my health at all, obviously. And then I came across... Um, eating plant-based and eating an abundance of fresh fruits and vegetables. And it just clicked for me. And overnight, I began, just went full-fledged in and went vegan overnight. I told my then-boyfriend, who's my now-husband, because we've been together since high school, 
vegan and he just looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> he was like, okay, well you do, you go ahead and do that, but I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I'm just doing it for me, for my health. And I just felt completely transformed overnight. I really started to look at my health in like an abundance mindset as opposed to a restrictive mindset and started to eat for a healthy body as opposed to restricting my calories for an unhealthily skinny body. Mm. And as a result, my health took off. I started to have better mental clarity, good digestion, cleared my skin up, and I never looked back. And then years down the road, at that point, I was just doing it for my health. But years down the road, I came across this video called The Best Speech You'll Ever Hear by Gary Yurofsky. And that video completely flipped my worldview upside down. I was crying at the end of it and just couldn't even believe that I had never considered the animals in this argument or discussion about veganism because I just never really thought about it before. I'm not like a huge animal lover growing up. I like wasn't one to like cry or get really sad if like a a family dog died or anything like that. And so I just never really thought about the animals. And then when I watched that video, I just could not ignore the realities of like what animals go through and how much we just ignore their suffering all in the name of like taste, convenience, habit, and tradition. And so after that, I like what became more of an ethical vegan. Like it was like not only for my health, but also for the animals. And then also eventually learning about the impacts that animal agriculture has on the environment as well. So it really just is a win, win, win for me and like a no brainer for me. And since then, you know, my husband eventually became plant based a few years later, (laughs) you know, he's like started to learn how important and healthy it is to eat this way and he's like did you did you know this stuff he's like reading a book I'm like I've been trying to tell you this for years (laughs) (laughs) so then he became plant-based and then you know I got pregnant with my first child and we've been raising all four of our children um on a vegan diet as well a healthy whole foods plant-based diet that is abundant in fresh fruits and vegetables I had four wonderfully healthy pregnancies and healthy home births and it's just a true testament to like my personal experience on like how thriving my kids are and how healthy we are as a family. So that's really my story about veganism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, there's so much to, there's so much to get into there. <laughs> uh, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about vegans or veganism? Um, I think one of the big ones is just assuming that vegans all think the same Mm. on like in every other area of life Mm. that and also there's like, you know, a core group of people that do think vegans need to all think the same in every other area of life, which is unfortunate um, because you're not going to reach other people if you're just like limiting yourself to only these people who think exactly like us in all other area of life. Like there's that. And then there's also the misconception that like you're just going to get all weak and and just feel terrible, you know, because there are personal experiences of people being like, oh, I tried that out and I just felt terrible. But really, like, there are so many ways to eat vegan. Like, it's not like the vegan diet. There's like a thousand different ways to eat plant-based and not all of them, nor most of them are healthy. And also there's, um, it's, it's troublesome for a lot of people in the beginning to start out because they're so used to eating an animal foods rich diet. Um, so it definitely takes a shift to understanding how to eat to sustain yourself. One of the uh, most common reasons why people don't feel well when they first start eating plant-based is that they're simply just not eating enough calories mm. because plant foods are by natural are naturally lower in calories than animal-based foods. So you have to eat more bites of food to um, sustain yourself and to be satisfied. So if you just try to eat some lettuce and salads and a few pieces of fruit all day, like you're not going to feel good. You're not going to be satisfied. And so you know, inevitably those stories are like, oh, I just felt terrible. Well, what were you eating? Mm. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of that. 
that I think those are the big biggest misconceptions that you're not going to feel good or it's not healthy for you. And yeah. then also just assuming that vegans all think the same. No doubt. And um, how did you get into this strange world of being an internet influencer? Because that is that's what you are. You are full time. You've got a very popular YouTube channel. You've got over half a million followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You've got your website. You've now got your podcast as well, which we, we recorded in episode four. So look out for that. Stay tuned for that. I'm going to be featured on the Ellen Fisher podcast. And um, how did you get into this world? Um, pretty much by accident, actually. I had just moved here to Hawaii with my husband and one child at the time. He was like, Elvis was one years old. And I was just sharing pictures on Instagram of my life and the healthy fruits and vegetables we were eating and just the way we were living. Um, and it just kind of caught on. And that was back before Instagram was like really heavily oversaturated. Um, so it just grew so easily out of nowhere. I didn't even realize like, wait, what am I even doing? I'm just sharing like the salads that we're eating and the recipes and, you know, being on the beach and just like talking about our goals to, you know, get land and grow our own food. Mm. And it just blew up without even really trying. I had no intention of making it anything because I actually, I actually used to be a waitress at a steakhouse back early oh. enough. <laughs> I know before <laughs> okay. I moved here, yeah. that's a whole nother story. But um, I had gotten that job like before I had, you know, made a, a connection mm-hmm. with animals. And when we decided to move here, my husband and I both quit our jobs and started over essentially. And I wasn't planning on like doing anything. He was just going to work and I was just going to stay home with Elvis. And then just, you know, we planned on having more children. And that was the plan. But Andrew was working like 60 hours a week at a Zipline Tour Guide and also at a health food store. He was the grocery manager and made his way up pretty quick. And he was working so much, like 60 hours a week. So when I started growing an audience, I was like, wow, I feel like we could really do something with this. It just mm. kind of hit us. Like I should, a lot of people are asking for my recipes. I should just make a recipe ebook. And so that's kind of how I started. And then I posted one video on like what my child eats in a day what my vegan kid eats in a day and that just like I literally I didn't I didn't even at the time realize that that video was like that that was a lot of views for like your first video like okay. I didn't even get it because I wasn't ever on YouTube I just put it out there Come because oh, yeah. I didn't even get it I just put it out there mm. and just seeing it like <laughs> it's just so funny looking back how I really didn't even know that that was a lot of views for your first video and it just kind of took off and and then that's when I really started to make something of it and sell recipe ebooks and stuff nice so you sort of fell into it because this is a world that a lot of people strive to get into. So it's interesting. You kind of got into it almost accidentally, like you kind of tumbled into it. Yeah. And then I just, but the thing is I fell into it accidentally, but then I took hold of it and really made it into something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I love it. I love my job. Awesome. Awesome. Now I want to talk a little bit about family because that is something you are super passionate about. As I said at the beginning of the show, I have been uh, living with Ellen and her family for the past week. They were wonderful enough to invite me out here to hang with them here in Maui. And God bless this family. (laughs) Honestly, honestly, beautiful people, wonderful kids. Andrew's a great guy. I've been hitting the gym with him. Uh, they've They've been feeding me. I've been eating a lot of plant based food. Which uh, has been has has been interesting, you know. I actually a lot of good people don't know I was actually a vegetarian for seven years, so I'm not sort of totally outside the realm of understanding all of this. I was a vegetarian for ethical reasons for from the age of seven to fourteen. Um, so it's been a it's been interesting. Like I'm a very open minded person with this podcast, with these conversations. Everything I do is very much of it is about not telling people what to think, but encouraging people to think. 
Now, coming back to the to the family thing, I mean, you're uh, you're a mother of four, and you're super passionate about home birthing. Why why home birthing specifically? I mean, that could be like an entire episode in and of itself. Like, okay. I just love I love home birthing and just natural birthing in and of itself and really putting the power back into the woman. And there's a lot of misconceptions about home birthing as well. Um, You know, midwives are really going to take you in if you're a low risk pregnancy and not everyone should be having home births. Mm. If you're a high risk pregnancy, um, a hospital birth is exactly what you need. And really, everyone should be giving birth where they feel the safest. And for me, I felt the safest at home. Um, I watched this documentary called The Business of Being Born. I had already liked the idea. Have you ever heard of it? That documentary? I know, I'm not familiar. I had already uh, liked the idea of home birthing. And after I watched that documentary, just like learning about um, the hospital system, which was already like innate in my like in my body, like in, inside of me, I already had this desire, an intuitive desire to like birth at home and not be interrupted or um, prodded at mm-hmm. per se. And I really believed in the health of my body and that I could do it. And it really just comes back to like getting back to the natural self and what we were designed and made to do. And often the way that the hospital system is set up is it's set up to like take care of sick people Mm. and just giving birth isn't necessarily like, like you're sick, like you're not sick, you know, it's a beautiful, natural, empowering experience. And a lot of women come away from hospital experiences feeling kind of ripped and like robbed from the, certain certain aspects of what they wanted for their birth um, because of a lot of the systems in place set up that is you know designed to help people and does help a, a lot of babies like they, they've saved so many lives like this is mad props to the healthcare workers who are helping save lives and and help babies like every single day mm. for sure but i do think there needs to be a discussion and more of a, a, a nuanced understanding that like not every woman necessarily needs to be giving birth at a hospital and with um a licensed and experienced midwife um, and healthcare team around you at home, it can actually be safer to give birth at home okay. because um, intervene- interventions isn't always better. If you if you're a low risk pregnancy, there's actually there are risks to inter- unnecessary interventions, mm-hmm. and our C section rate is so high in America. It's so so high, and really it it should not be that way. It does not have to be that way. And C sections are a major abdominal surgery. It's it's it does not come without risks. And um, the bonding experience from not having your baby taken away right after you give birth. And there's there's so many, um, like, scientific reasons why it's helpful to just have your babies have skin-to-skin contact right away and to not have your baby have all the um, – everything rubbed off them right away and cleaned up and have the baby immediately taken away. Like, I can't even fathom having my baby taken away right after I gave birth, mm. after having hours and hours in labor and then – for whatever reason, whatever their their um, hospital routines and just what they are used to doing, often like I know many friends of mine who have had a hospital experience that they felt very upset by certain things that happened. This isn't always the case. I also have friends who have loved their hospital experience, who have loved their nurses. So there's definitely discussion for the beauty in both. But at the end of the day, I just advocate for like learning about the different reasons to have a home birth or a hospital birth and going where you feel safest. And for me, I feel safest at home. And I've had such amazing experiences being able to have a team around me, uh, you know, professional team around me, an experienced team around me that is able to provide me the best experience where I get the most bonding with my baby while also being there for me if anything were to arise that would need emergency care. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, something that I find really interesting with you and everything you do, and you kind of touched on this earlier, which is that there are certain ideas and stereotypes people have 
of different types of people, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to uh, veganism and people who live a plant-based diet and who care about the environment, it tends to be associated with, rightly or wrongly, wrongly, it tends to be associated sometimes with people who, in some ways, and I'm sure you've seen this in some elements of the vegan world, where people seem to care be kind of almost more pro-animal, somewhat to the detriment of yeah. being pro-human, Yeah. right? And in your case, and for example, there will be people who are vegans who think you shouldn't have children, or if you are going to have children, you should only have one because that's, you know, plays into the sort of environmentalism and yes. this notion of the world is overpopulated and the best thing you can do for the planet yeah. and to stop climate change is to not have children. So one thing I find so interesting with you, you I think you break a lot of stereotypes. Totally. But <laughs> I think that that one is one that's sort of totally smashed because, you know, you've got four kids already. I have no idea if you if you plan to have more. Um, but what's been the, especially as someone with such a large following, what's been the sort of feedback you get on that? Are there people who it sort of confuses them or they're critical of it because they think you know they're with you on the plant-based stuff but then they're like oh my gosh how do you have so many children etc how what's the response been like yeah I definitely get my fair share of that I mean most people who follow my content are extremely supportive and super kind and loving but you definitely have your outliers I get you know when I was pregnant with my third child I already was getting comments of how selfish I was for having Mm. more children and you're not a true vegan because a true vegan like cares about the environment and you wouldn't be having so many children um so yeah I got that even from the third child let alone the fourth child and yeah I get there's a lot of a lot of times people are really surprised um, when they find out things like maybe people sh- spreading rumors in the comments like Ellen and Andrew are this and that they're not who you think they are mm. <laughs> type of thing because they all assume that we must be like, um, I don't know, a lot of things when it comes to politics. And I had done like a pro-life post back when I was pregnant with my fourth child, Kofax, and I just I really just wanted to do this post. And I was like kind of tired of everybody kind of assuming I must be like a hardcore leftist and I mean, I don't think everybody assumed that, but obviously there's people who just assume that. So I did that post that kind of like blew people's minds. Like I felt like some people's brains were exploding. Like yeah. they couldn't even comprehend it, which is so bizarre to me because I really believe that being pro-life is more in line with veganism than mm-hmm. pro-choice. Like it actually is so hard for me to – it's hard for me to comprehend how people at least don't just see why a vegan would be pro-life. Sure. I mean why anyone would be pro-life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of people assume that I must I must be thinking a certain way. And, you know, inevitably there's people going, oh, now Ellen's anti-women's rights. And I have a large left-leaning audience to my understanding, at least to the best of my knowledge. And mm. so I think people assume I must be thinking a certain way when it comes to all different types of topics, not just veganism. And how do you, how do you navigate that? How do you deal with it? Um, I generally for the most part, up until now, have like kind of stayed out of politics as much as possible and try. I I really like to find common ground with people. I really like um, nuanced discussions and civil discourse, but it's very hard to do online. And Mm. and so I just avoid it because I'd rather avoid it altogether (laughs) than just experience a bunch of people just misunderstanding me, which is inevitable. And I already get that as it is. But I would so much rather be able to have like a long form discussion and really be able to fully share why I think the way that I do. And that's one reason why I started the podcast because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm, I really am wanting to start to talk about more things. I, I still love and want to keep talking about like um, respectful parenting and home birthing and veganism and all that. But I also like love to talk about other things too. So that's one reason why I started the podcast. But for the most part, I've just, 
Hmm. I just kind of avoid responding. I just like let people think what they want to think and very rarely intervene because I find that when I do intervene and try to like explain myself, it doesn't or, or just share my position hmm. uh, like and explain why their assumptions are misguided, like assuming that I must be anti all these things and this like not caring about others like generally doesn't is it worth it to reply to those type of people because those people I feel like are sitting behind a screen spending their hours making assumptions about people and they don't really want to hear like Mm. the truth about what you really think they already have it made up in their mind so and also I just don't have the time to spend (laughs) to spend like time in comments like Mm -hmm. I already feel have such a busy life and want as much time with my kids as I can so I do my work and then I log off yep I, I think a lot of it stems from what I call lazy thinking Mm-hmm. Right. I yeah. think as human beings, we make all sorts of mental shortcuts and we are constantly running off of habit and assumption and trying to pattern recognition and trying to fit things in boxes. And unfortunately, we do that with people mm-hmm. as well. So it's much easier to just say all vegans are X or should be X or must be X and all these people are Y, all liberals are X, all conservatives are A, all these people are B, all these, right? It's, it's annoying that people do this. Yeah. I can understand why. And I think we all do it to some degree. There's nobody who's totally free of stereotyping and bias and putting people in boxes. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately it stems from lazy thinking. I think if people can just say, okay, you believe this one thing so I can infer all the rest and assume all the rest of your beliefs, then I can just throw you in that box. I can quickly decide if you're in my tribe or outside of it, if you're a friend, if you're a foe. Uh, if you're a threat or if you're an ally and people do this all the time, especially online, right? They'll be on someone's profile for two, 20 seconds and they've already determined yes. what everything you believe, your experiences, who you connect to. They'll literally check. Sometimes some people will check who you follow and then they'll infer everything from that or they'll literally see in this case how you live your, you know, how you live your life or the food you eat. And people will run off, run off assumptions on that. And um, it's kind of crazy, but I think it's it's really interesting to talk to people who break that narrative, who don't just fit into those lines where yeah. people think, oh, this person looks like this or they're into this one thing. So therefore, I know everything else about them. Yeah, I think it's actually really helpful for people to just see that not everything and not like putting in a box is so not helpful. Mm. There's so many different types of people that think in one way in one area, but then a completely different way in something else. And I think it's helpful for people to see that. And just seeing people also reject this idea that if if I don't agree with everything that this person agrees with, then that means I'm, you know, a white supremacist or all these horrible isms. Mm. <clears throat> like I completely reject that. You can say that about me, but it's not true. I know it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> so like, whatever, <laughs> you know? So, and, and then also I realized I didn't respond to the thing about loving people, loving animals more than humans, mm. like veganism, vegans. Um, there is this idea, I think that a lot of vegans care about animals more than humans. And I do think that there are some vegans like that, mm-hmm. but they're the minority, at least to my personal experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know any like statistics <laughs> on it. And I, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You don't have to be like loving animals more than humans to choose to be vegan for ethical reasons. You can mm-hmm. choose to, to do what I consider the bare minimum and for my personal experience, like my personal choices to live in a way that's um, not contributing to animal suffering as reasonable as possible and acknowledge that I don't want animals to suffer without thinking that I like think animals matter more than humans. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's also like that term speciesism, which I find really interesting. And I love like hearing different 
um, concepts and discussions about it, but I don't know. It's such a, it's such a, like a deep conversation. Like, like, like how the chances of somebody actually like with the argument of like, if a dog and a human are like, are drowning, like mm-hmm. who are you going to go after? And there are going to be the people, some people that say, I'm going to choose the dog, but mm-hmm. it's very, very small. But those, but those same people probably wouldn't pick a cockroach. Yeah. So yeah. even yeah. then, like, regardless, everyone's being specious according to this, right? I mean, someone will go kill a, a cockroach or a rat. But then yeah. they'll treat a dog or a cat like a human being or be- or better than a human being. I see people on social media all the time. And this is a very Western phenomenon, by the way, of people saying that, you know, they prefer dogs or cats to human beings. Like, like that's not a mainstream thing, but it's not rare to, for people to say things like, oh, you know, we don't deserve dogs, for example. I'm like, no, dogs don't deserve us, <laughs> right? <laughs> dogs are awesome. I like dogs. I like dogs. But um, the notion that dogs are better than people or more valuable or something like to me yeah that's that's kind of when people tend to lose me well i think sorry real quick go ahead there are vegans who don't kill cockroaches there are vegans like mm. i've had many i've had many vegan friends over my house who will help like take out cockroaches and spiders to take outside rather yeah. than kill them there are there are vegans that just that um will do the best they can to cause the least amount of suffering mm. so there's that and then also with the species and speciesism thing like there are there's a way to understand it without even comparing it to like human to animal Mm. you can also at least consider the reality that most humans care about certain animals but not others so that is something that really um impacted me when i was first starting to realize the ethical vegan argument because i would never like if someone saw like someone beating a dog in front of us Mm -hmm. or or hurting them intentionally or a cat like there'd be uproar Mm -hmm. and you know people yes and people and people are upset at how the way um china kills dogs for food Mm -hmm. but in the same stroke they might be complaining about that while they're eating a pig Mm -hmm. and and that pig has the same capacity for love and desire to be to avoid harm as the dog Mm. so i i think it's important to understand like the way that we like would be so upset if somebody killed a whale but we're not upset by killing large tuna so, yeah. so all of that is, I think, a valid argument to just like realize, hey, some animals might be more likable, like they're easier to like because they're fluffy and, you know, yeah. <laughs> let you pet them and stuff like that. But that also doesn't, does that mean that they should deserve more love and care to at least avoid supporting their suffering? Mm. Doesn't mean you have to be like a veganism who, or a vegan who goes to slaughterhouse farms and um, like an activist, like you can at least do the bare minimum of not supporting it with your dollars mm. and knowing, especially knowing if you can be healthy that way. So that's really the argument, right? Like if people are like, well, I have to eat this way because I, I can't be healthy without it. Yeah. But if you, if you learn and you find and you realize like, oh, I can be healthy eating this way. What is the reason for supporting it? Mm-hmm. There really isn't a mm. good reason um, for at, at least in the Western countries where we have access to all types of foods yeah, that we that's, and, a, that's that's an important yeah. point as well yeah. because there are many many I'd say most most places in the world being a vegan is and being a, being a healthy vegan is extraordinarily difficult. I don't know if I agree with that. You don't think so? No, I think it's okay. just that most people don't have the information on how to do it healthy. Most people have okay. a hard time doing it because. But what about raised- just getting access to the foods? Yeah, most people have should have be able to have access to it. There's going to okay. be outliers. There's going to be like food deserts, which is that's a whole other conversation. I mean, outside the West, 
I'm oh, talking, outside I'm, I mean, the West. I mean, outside the West. Oh, you're talking outside the West. Yeah, yeah, outside the West. Yeah, if we're yeah. talking about in a in um like a less developed nation, it's a completely different conversation. Okay. A lot of people use that as a reason not to do it themselves, mm-hmm. but that's not a good reason not to do it yourself when your own current situation. Yeah, yeah. And but the thing is, though, the people who are suffering in a, in a way that have trouble to get enough food to sustain their family, mm-hmm. they're eating plant foods because those are the cheapest foods. Absolutely. So they're eating beans and rice. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, that's a whole nother conversation. It's not, it's not like they're like, um, just chowing down on all these animal foods that actually require a lot of energy mm-hmm. and money to be able to eat because animal foods cost more. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, oh, I can't eat plant-based. No, it's, it's that they're eating the plant foods, but they don't have access to a wide variety of fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. like people in the West who yeah. have that access. It's a very interesting topic. I want to talk a little bit more about, um... So you and Andrew, your husband, have been together for almost 18 years. Am I, is that right? Is that right? You said since, since you were teenagers. Wait. Since oh, yeah, 15? 18. I can't 18 even years? remember. It's been so many. Since okay. we were 15. Yes, yes. Okay. 18. That, that's, firstly, that, that's, that's awesome because I think one of the most interesting topics and something that's going on very much again in the, in the West and in the wider world is, a movement away from the family structure. I think the breakdown of the family yeah. is one of the, I think it's the biggest issue actually in the modern world. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I think a lot of things stem from that. So how did you, firstly, how did you meet? We went to junior high and high school together. Okay. And I remember seeing him like in the hall. We went to a small private school. Okay. It was like 450 of us in all of junior high and high school. But I remember my first day of school, seventh grade, seeing this tall kid. (laughs) He was like stuck out like a foot taller than anyone else. And I was like, who is that guy? (laughs) (laughs) And then a few years later, we started dating. That's advice, man. You just got to grow taller, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to grow taller. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, How did, uh, who, who made the move? Did he make the move? No, I was much more forward. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. If it wasn't for me, we wouldn't be together. Really? Yeah. Okay. Explain. I'm intrigued. Well, he's just, he's, um, he's like a, a more quiet, reserved person, especially in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was just more outgoing. Like I knew he liked me and I was like, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. So, so I just messaged him on AOL. Oh, like, wow. AOL okay. Yeah. 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 Message, yeah. And I was like, Hey. That's so funny. And that's kind of how we started. And I would like invite him over to go shopping with me. That's so interesting. I'm like, do you want to go shopping with me to try on some new jeans? I need some new jeans. <laughs> okay. Like, he's like, yes, I'm there. Ladies, shoot your shot. <laughs> shoot your shot, ladies. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and how has becoming a a wife and a mother, how do you think that has changed and shaped you? I know that's a big question. Uh, yeah, it's a very loaded question. Yeah. I mean, it's changed me so much because I've realized after having kids that like they are more teachers for us than we are for them mm. or maybe just at least equal in different ways. Okay. Because children are such mirrors for us. They reflect everything that we do. And a lot of times people try to stamp out the humanity in children and think, I got to make my child perfect. I got to make sure that they're the most like perfect person out there. So respectful. So this and if they, if they alter or weird to the side in any way they need to be punished they mm. need to be reprimanded and that's the only way we're going to teach them to be good people and i think people kind of forget like they're they're acting in a certain way because they see you acting in a certain way so if they're if they're like quick to get angry they're quick to yell like they're they're doing that most likely because someone in their life is doing that mm. some an adult in their life that they look up to and so it's easy to look at them and be astonished that a child would be like Dude, how could how could you reply like that you need to calm down i can't believe you're being like that but in the same moment you're getting heated and you're showing them how to be when you're upset because you Mm. start yelling Mm. so it's been a huge 
teaching journey for me to how how to become my best self for my children. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been my biggest thing, I think. Awesome. Oh, we haven't even talked about another thing that you are an advocate for what? and that you practice is homeschooling. Oh, yeah. Which is actually a big conversation right now. There's totally. a lot of people, especially post-pandemic situation or during it and with a lot of the stuff that's creeping into schools, especially here in America, I'm seeing homeschooling being discussed more and more. And yes. I think people are considering it who previously, perhaps even two or three years ago, wouldn't even have considered homeschooling doing so. I know people personally who have actually taken their kids out of public schools yeah. in the past couple of years and are now homeschooling them. So is that something that you did from the beginning? And if so, why? Yeah, I've been homeschooling from the very beginning. And it makes me so happy to see this, like, a movement like this growing mm. and seeing, you know, even Candace Owens, like, call to action homeschooling. I'm like, this is huge. Like, so few people speak about homeschooling in a positive way like this. There's such a stigma around it saying that homeschooling makes kids weird or isolated. And, you know, you just got to really make sure that they're socialized. It's so funny to me. First of all, you need to read the book Dumbing Us Down by Don John Taylor Gatto. It's amazing. He's like a well-renowned award-winning teacher that he's been a teacher in the public school system for decades. And he comes out being like, no, this is not the way. This is not the way. And it's <laughs> okay. such a good short little book. And then also um, How Children Learn by John Holt. John Holt, H-O-L-T, is an amazing book. It completely like just revolutionized the way that I saw how children learn and that children love to learn. Mm. When they're young, everything about them is how do I learn how to be big? Everything. It isn't until we send children to school that a lot of children realize and think that they don't like learning. Mm. Because and this isn't always the case. Yeah. You know, my sister loved school, yeah. but I did not like it. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I hate this. I hate being told what I have to learn. I hate having to sit down all day and just like reading these books that I don't want to read. And when I read when I read from the John Holt book, how children learn. I was like, this is actually so true. How children love learning. Everything in their world is how do I become big? How do I learn how to do the things that the big people are doing? Mm. And they love it. They love to learn from adult people. And we stifle that a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times we stifle that by sending in the public school system where suddenly learning becomes this boring, like unfun thing to do. Mm. And with homeschooling, you have so much freedom to give children the access to learn about what they're the most excited about while still guiding them in the direction of like the, the core principles of things that are really going to help them as they age. So obviously like reading, writing <laughs> and math and history, all that stuff. But then also having these days where you can be like, what do you want to learn today? Let's just like go out and learn exactly what you want. Let's get all these books and have access, help you have access to all the books that you're excited about, whatever it is, whether it's geology or um, ocean marine life or different kinds of animals. And I mean, you could go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. uh, my kids love learning about important events in history. So we spend like entire days just learning about one specific event mm -hmm. and we'll just come back to it again and again and again and keep learning. And they, they get so much inspiration and education from just learning about events in history in a way that's fun for them. Yep. And yeah, that's where we're at right now. And I'm sure it will evolve and change as they get older based on different types of um, curriculums that we use and stuff like that. We do kind of like a mix between curriculums and unschooling rather than just doing unschooling or just doing curriculum. And that's okay. what works for us. What, what's unschooling? Unschooling is kind of like the philosophy with John Holt that's about like completely child-led learning. Mm. Like whatever they're excited about, you provide that that information for them. You provide the books for them. You provide the people who knows the stuff that they want to learn to them, like internships and stuff like that. There's this really good TED Talk called Hack Schooling Makes Me Happy by Logan LaPlante. It's really great. Check that one out about a kid who loves his unschooling life and how he's got an internship at a snowboard um uh, company and okay. it's really really great also how school kills creativity by mm. uh john or what is it sir ken robinson 
It's like the most viewed TED Talk in TED Talk, TED Talk history. And I, I reject this notion that homeschooled kids are isolated and like don't have social experiences. It's, it's nonsense. It's complete it's, nonsense. It's, it's, it's nonsense. You're going to have the outliers of the yeah. random people who live in like the woods and have no friends. Mm-hmm. That is not how most homeschoolers but you, are. You get that in public schools too. Like anyone, no one who's been to public school can no. be like, oh, everyone who goes to public school is really well socialized and totally. has great communication skills. Totally. It's, it's, it's nonsense as long as people are... I believe as long as children are exposed to, you know, as they do have friends and have other people they can hang out with, siblings, yeah. com- other, there's more to community than just the few hours a day that kids might be in school. You can still get them involved in tons of other stuff. And you could actually argue that a homeschooled kid that is just surrounded by everyday people is mm-hmm. going to be more socialized than a kid who goes to school every day sitting with the same aged people told to sit in these desks all day and listen to one teacher, which is nothing like real life at all, yeah. as opposed to real life getting your kids around like um, well-informed and people who are inspired and passionate about something and just letting them have conversations with those people who are mm. passionate. They learn so much just by listening to people who are passionate about something because yep. they get excited about it. Yeah. So by adults, you mm. know, like my oldest loves adult conversations. Whenever we're having a new podcast guest. Yeah. He's been he's joining like, some of ours. Yeah. yeah. Whenever, whenever <laughs> totally. Whenever we have a new podcast guest, he's like, does he like hanging with kids? Because I want to talk to him. Like yeah. he just loves it. Yeah. That's cool. One issue with home with home birthing, homeschooling, I guess, of course, is that most people work jobs during the day, nine to fives, you know, five to nines, whatever it might be. Is there any way to, I don't know, balance that? Is there is there any way in the sort of traditional working career model that yeah. homeschooling to any degree is? really a feasible option because i feel like there's probably millions of people out there who who like the idea of it yeah. but hey i i, I got to go to work or totally. you know i and my wife have to go to work or i and my husband have to go to work or whatever the situation is and so while they like the idea they might be listening to this and thinking okay but this isn't practical for you know 90% plus of people totally there's so much to say about that okay. and anybody who isn't able to homeschool due to those reasons like my heart goes out for you if you want to homeschool and you're just like unable to do that based in your in the situation that you're in because there are situations like mm-hmm. that um, like a single mom like for instance who doesn't have a support system around them yep. and yeah that that's really difficult and I don't have all the answers obviously mm-hmm. but there is a large group of people who are in a system where both parents are working nine to five and it's all about the hustle and keeping up with the Joneses And it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. And I think financial independence and really learning how to handle your finances properly can free up your life to do the things that you're really excited to do and in ways that people just don't even think about. Like it's really easy to get bogged down in this like, there's no way I could do it. I have to work this day. Mm. We both have to work. And meanwhile, there's actually so many ways that you could downgrade your life, simplify your life. You could even move to a place that's cheaper, downgrade your home. You could not have such expensive cars. Mm. Not everybody has expensive cars, obviously, and this is not speaking to everyone's experience, but I'm talking about a group of people who could make changes, like serious changes. There's a a documentary called FIRE. What's it called? How do you – F-I-R-E. Financial Independence Retire Early is what it stands for. It's really good. And Mm. there's people who have completely changed their lives by – changing the system that they grew up in. They grew up in this world where you think, I have to go to work all day, drive in the expensive car that takes me to work at the job I don't like all day, and then spend most of it on clothes and what have you and the mortgage. And then and then you have like a tiny bit left over or you're paying off debt. And just in this rat race where it's really hard to get ahead and to a place to live in a way that you want. Mm. 
and I, I just want to be clear, I'm not, I'm not trying to generalize because there's a lot of people who really are struggling uh, financially and don't have the means to do that. But there are a group of people that could make a lot of changes to make it easier for them to just have one parent at work and the other one could stay at home. And there's also ways to get in touch with homeschool groups of other moms to get together or, or dads to get together and rotate doing watch homeschooling okay, your yeah, kids. Yeah. So actually, that was something Candace Owens talked about, like when she was doing call to action, telling people to quit like take their kids out of public school she was mm. saying also teachers you need to come out too and then you can start supporting these people by getting these like i forget what she called it but it was like a a group homeschooling where you get it together it's your own choosing of who's in here basically select uh the families and then you have a teacher that can you can pay the teacher to homeschool your kids mm. and you can do like hybrid homeschooling where sometimes you're doing it on your own but a lot of times you're doing it with other families and mm. rotating maybe one day you get multiple families and it is um, it is tricky because when you have a lot of different ages, it does make it difficult, um, like in families and stuff. But there are ways around it. There are definitely ways to find the people that are wanting to homeschool in your area, connect with them online, and make something happen. No doubt. Yeah. I think one thing that's really cool about what you and your family do on so many different aspects, and we've talked about a lot of them, is simply going back to nature. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, going back towards not, not, you know, it doesn't mean living like the Amish and shunning electricity and running water yeah. and uh, not using the internet or doing what we're doing right here, but just taking that step back towards a more natural state of everything, mm-hmm. food, lifestyle, learning, parenthood, you know, your, your kids are just out there <laughs> running around barefoot and it's, it's, you know, you've got fruit in the garden. You can just pick papayas and bananas and it's beautiful. Like, I, I think that's cool. I think in the Western modern world, I think one of the big reasons for both mental and physical health deterioration is a severe removal from our natural state. Totally. Right. People have gone so, so far. I mean, from... From the food people are eating to, uh, you know, staying up all all night with a massive plasma screen in your own bedroom, flashing blue lights at you. Scroll, yeah, like everything. It's sitting down all day, driving everywhere. One thing I really don't like about a lot of the U.S. is the fact you have to drive everywhere, everywhere, and you can't kind of walk like you can in European cities. Just so many aspects of it. I think. To me, I, I see all of that and I'm like, is it a surprise there's a depression and anxiety and mental health problem? Is it, a, is it a surprise that so many people are overweight and obese and getting type 2 diabetes and various cancers, all these other issues? It's, it's almost like these are problems of abundance. It's almost like if people can take a step back. And you, again, you don't have to in everything, right? Just in a few areas and kind of go, okay. Let me take a step back towards what, you know, my parents or my my grandparents, the way the way they lived, Um, because as much as we have progressed and as wonderful as science and modern medicine and all of these things, technology are, they do have their they do have severe downsides. They have severe downsides. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, totally agree. Uh, With our healthcare crisis, no one's talking about the elephant in the room that most of the diseases that people are at hospitals for are lifestyle illnesses that can be prevented. And if it's not like any law needs to be put in place, it's just education and help people to harness their own like empowerment and Mm -hmm. realize that like you can take care of your health. Everyone knows fruits and vegetables are good for you. Any diet that is telling you that fruits and vegetables aren't good for you, I would be weary of. Yeah. We all know this in our bones that fresh fruits and vegetables are good for you. And 
the more that we eat fresh fruits and vegetables, the more that we start even just growing, even if you don't have land and you just grow, make one little garden bed outside, have some potted plants outside of your door, grow mm-hmm. some sprouts in your window, just make every little step that you can that's headed in the right direction. And a lot of it has to do with like government incentives. So like food subsidies had made it really, really easy for people to fall into an unhealthy eating habits because mm. um, the food subsidies goes towards largely animal foods and the crops to feed animal foods. Like a lot of people say, oh, well, soy, you know, is ruining the planet. But most of the soy is going towards animal agriculture. Mm. Most of the soy is fed to animal foods or fed to animals. And if animal foods cost the way that they were supposed to, we would be eating very little of it. The amount of dairy that people eat in our diets, the amount of cows that have to be impregnated for us to eat as much dairy, cheese, milk, egg, or cheese and milk, and butter, like Mm. it's astounding because a lot of people don't know, sorry, I'm going a different direction, but a lot of people don't know that cows make milk for their babies. They're not making milk just to make milk. (laughs) And every time we we drink milk, we're taking that, we're we're telling a farmer to take a baby away from their mother. Mm. And, And that's the fact that... It's just the fact of life. Yeah. So little things like that, understanding if we got closer to like our biological design and started just growing more fruits and vegetables, eating whole plant foods, like our healthcare system would be so much more relieved, but there's no money in that. Mm-mm. You know, the, there's such powerful lobbying and there's no incentive for our government to like explain that. And no. a lot of people don't even know that in our government, you know, just things, just, just understanding aspects of if we ate in a way that helps lower your chances of heart disease, our number one killer, actually mm-hmm. a whole foods plant-based diet is the only diet clinically proven to not only stop but reverse heart heart disease most people don't know this mm-hmm. it's our number one killer can mm-hmm. you imagine how much better our healthcare system yeah. if we just it's a number one killer by a mile by the way yeah. on a global level heart disease it's heart disease followed by cancer but heart disease is i don't know the numbers i think in an in an average year i think 60 to 65 million people in the world die and of course we have to meet our end at some point by something yeah um but with cardiovascular disease in particular especially in western countries it's it can certainly be delayed right it can yeah. it can certainly be massively pushed back same with a lot of different types of cancers they can be pushed back through through nutrition through diet exercise sunshine. lifestyle habits sunshine again stuff that i think on a on a basic and a fundamental level people know is good for them i i think that there's this weird thing with human beings where what people know is good for them versus what people do two different stories totally. <laughs> it's like like to, totally. totally this goes across everything this, well, this goes with everything things, there's a lot of things like like we're like i was saying about the food subsidies it creates convenience foods that mm-hmm. are so much cheaper than like why does a cheeseburger in america cost less than a head of broccoli that's, wild. That's insane. Yeah. A cheeseburger that has all different components, the amount of energy it took to create the bread, mm-hmm. to create the bur- the beef for mm-hmm. the burger, the lettuce, the tomato, and, and then cheese. one head yeah. of organic broccoli costs more than that. Yeah. That's insane. And it, it has to do with food subsidies. So I think it comes down to cha- if we're going to have subsidies at all, it should be towards healthy plant foods, yeah. like uh, nutrient-rich plant foods, high-calorie plant foods that are going to sustain people who are in lower economic cir- uh, circumstances to be able to afford those foods. Right now, the most convenient and cheap foods are processed foods. Mm-hmm. They're easy access and you get you get in a habit, you know? And so just bringing it back to the discussion of like caring about, like you can still be a pro free market, uh, loving uh, the way America is set up, but also living in a way with your dollars because mm-hmm. it's supply and demand, baby. Like living in a way that's going to promote health and longevity and so that you're not living with chronic disease at the end of your life and also just living closer to nature, which is just so much better for your overall well-being, your mental health. And yeah. Awesome.
Ellen, I would love to talk for much longer, but I have a flight to catch. <laughs> Time to go. No doubt. So before we go, where can people find out more about you online? Um, ellenfisher.com or my YouTube channel, Ellen Fisher. My new podcast is the Ellen Fisher podcast channel. So two separate channels there. And then my Instagram, which is Ellen Fisher. Awesome. Ellen Fisher, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.